0: Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in the book of Psalms here this morning, Psalms 90. And uh, today is December 31st, 2023. Also, one, two, three, one, two, three. (laughs) Never going to happen ever again, okay? Um, This day is unique. Um, And it's unique, you know, primarily God has allowed us to live uh, this day. But also the Bible tells us that uh, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. So um, God has given us this day today, and uh, we are uh, certainly thankful for it. And you know, as you, we're closing out this year, um, closing out this day, this year, Uh, as you look back on this year, what went right? What went wrong? What are some things that you uh, wish maybe you should have changed? Uh, Maybe some decisions that uh, maybe you uh, shouldn't have made? Where would you place more of an emphasis uh, in your life? The the truth is, is, if Christ does not come in our lifetime, all of us are going to die. It's reality. And death is so certain that we know that there is going to be a coming time. We don't know When that time is going to be, we don't know what day, we don't know what hour, we don't know the circumstances surrounding it, but God does know, and death is certain. And if the Lord does not return, uh, all of us are going to face that that door of death. Truth is, um, when we look back at our lives, how have we spent our days? So far. Um, how have we uh, done things for Christ? How have we, maybe we've wasted a lot of time, maybe we've not placed emphasis on, on certain things. And this morning we're we're gonna be looking at Psalm 90, and in this Psalm, there's there's really a request for God to teach us to number our days. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about here this morning. We're going to be talking about um, asking the Lord to number our days, to teach us to number our days. We're going to look at uh, what, what all that means um, and really how we can number our days. The Bible here, the verse that we're going to be looking at, verse number 12 here in Psalm 90, it says that we may get, that we may get a heart of wisdom, to have a heart of wisdom. And so, this is what I want you to take away with you today. Be wise and number your days so you can live for God's glory. Be wise and number your days so you can live for God's glory. So, let's read this psalm here together out of uh, Psalm 90. Notice the title A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. So, this is Moses wrote this psalm here. Verse one He says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12, here it is. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we, have seen as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now remember... All of these psalms here in the book of Psalms were songs that were to be sung in the congregation. They were to be used as a means of worship. And so they sang this song when they would gather together and they would sing about, Lord, teach us to number our days. They would recall about Moses writing this and the reason why he uh, wrote this psalm. And so because this is a psalm by Moses... This actually makes this the oldest song in the entire book of Psalms. And it makes Moses really the oldest psalmist as as far as we know. Moses wrote some other songs, believe it or not. Um, The other record he cut was in uh, Exodus 15. The B side to that record was uh, Deuteronomy 32. But he wrote these songs about... God and what God has done and what God is doing. And Psalm 90 is really unique because it's actually a psalm of lament. Did you catch some of the language in there about death, about dying, affliction, right? A little bit of lament uh, theme in all of this. And this psalm was written about the end of Moses' life before he dies. Now we do have a timeline of Moses' life that's revealed to us in the book of Exodus. It can really be broken up into three segments. Uh, Moses spent the very first 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. Remember, he was rescued out of the bulrushes, right? That whole, whole scene, right? Grows up in the house of Pharaoh. Spends 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. Then he kills an Egyptian and he runs away And he spends the next 40 years in the desert as a shepherd, hiding, running away. And then it was at that time that God speaks to Moses. Moses, I want you to go back. Go back to Egypt. Lead my people out. So here he is, 80 years old. Moses an 80-year-old man. He goes back to Egypt and, you know, has the confrontation with Pharaoh. Let my people go. All those things, right? And then... The exodus happens. They're going to go on to the land of Canaan. But because of Israel's disbelief, they wander in the desert for how many years? Forty years. So this is a brief snapshot of Moses' life. And this psalm here, Moses writes kind of near towards the end of his life. Uh, Some believe it might be probably the last maybe 20 years of his life before he dies. And you know what's interesting is uh, God shows Moses the promised land. He says, you're not going into the promised land, Moses. He shows him the promised land, you're not going. And God takes him out and God buries Moses. Moses never saw, really, got to enter into the promised land. And so Moses is reflecting, he's going back, he's thinking about his life, he's thinking about what God is doing, what God has done. And he writes this psalm about teaching, about asking the Lord to teach us to number our days. Now, I want you to make the connection here. Moses writes in this psalm about the brevity of life. Numbering your days, living with wisdom, making our lives count for God. This psalm was like I said, likely written probably the last 20 years of Moses while he was wandering in the, in the desert with the children of Israel. And God told Moses that the unbelieving generation, the ones that, that came out of Egypt... And they disbelieved God. He said that that unbelieving generation from age 20 years on down, okay, would survive. But those over the age of 20 would die in the wilderness, really, for the next 40 years. Because they failed to trust God and enter into the promised land. And so this psalm really just oozes with thoughts about what was happening, what God was doing, and Moses is completely surrounded with death. Every year, month, week, day, hour, and minute, death. Moses sees this. A lot of funerals. Now let's do a little math here, okay? Okay. How many funerals did Moses likely see while he was wandering in the desert for 40 years with the children of Israel? Numbers 146 gives us the number of 603,550 men, not including women and children, that came out of Egypt. They came out of Egypt, and this was just the men, 603,550 Estimates of 2.5 to 3 million total Israelites came out of Egypt, if you're including men, women, and their children. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many died in the wilderness wanderings, only that every adult 20 years and up would die over the next 40 years in the wilderness. Now, let's just say, let's just kind of throw some numbers out here. Let's just say that there was 1,200,000 people, could be more, could be less, would die in the wilderness over the next course of 40 years. That's 30,000 people a year dying. Every year, 30,000 people dying. That's 82 people per day And that's one person every 17 minutes falling dead in the wilderness. Heard the song, another one bites the dust, right? Yeah, here they are traveling, another one bites the dust, poof, right? On and on and on and on it goes. So Moses was completely surrounded by death every, let's just say, 17 minutes. That's a lot of funerals, a lot, So I'm pretty sure Moses knew what he was talking about in teaching us to number our days. He's pretty familiar with death here and the frailty and the finality of it. Now, I want you to keep those things in mind as we work through this psalm, and I want to give you three things that I believe will help us to learn how to number our days and live for God's glory. So here they are. Number one, if we are going to... Number our days and have a heart of wisdom. First thing that we need to understand is that God is eternal and our life is brief. When we see everything that God does and has done and is doing, we don't compare. As human, as human beings, we do not compare to God at all. Hey, don't fall into some of this false teaching that's real popular right now that you are a God, right? No, you, you are not a God, okay? We do not compare to God whatsoever. And so if we want to learn how to number our days, if we want to have a heart of wisdom, we have to have the right perspective. God is eternal and our lives are brief. I love how Moses makes this psalm all about God. I mean, just look at this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, right? Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth. Uh, verse 3, you return man to dust, right? Uh, verse uh, 4, for a thousand years in your sight. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood, right? It's all about God, right? Man is just a, just a little, little footnote, right? That's it. God is the one who is eternal. God is the one who is infinite, Our lives and everything that we do is just brief. Nothing. And notice how Moses really puts God's existence and eternality in perspective for us. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What does that mean? It means God is the only place for safety and refuge. He's the only one from before Israel dating back to the first humans in the garden and up through the patriarchs of of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and beyond to all generations in Egypt. God is the only one for safety. He says, you are the one. You are refuge to all generations. And so he could definitely, definitely testify to that. Secondly, God has existed long before anything else in the world. Look at verse number two. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Those mighty mountains, God was before them. I'm sure you've heard the expression, boy, that person is older than what? Dirt. God is older than the mountains. He was before the mountains. He formed them, right? You can't put an age on God. He's ageless. He's eternal. He made the mountains. He formed the earth. Look at this. God is everlasting to everlasting. He is God in verse 2. How long is everlasting to everlasting? Well, maybe we could put some direction on it. If we were to go into eternity this direction and keep going in eternity forever and ever 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 never reach it and if we were go to the opposite direction forever and ever and ever and ever god is from everlasting to everlasting there is no end to his existence to who he is as our creator ready to have your mind blown Isaiah 57.15 puts it this way, that God inhabits eternity. In other words, God moves freely in time. Any period of time is accessible to him, past, present, and future. Jesus is described for us in Revelation 1.8 as the, the Lord God who is and was and who is to come the almighty he is not bound by time he inhabits all of eternity past present and future i can't even comprehend that i can't i can't even fathom that that god can inhabit the past at the same time as the present and also the future that's mind-boggling but this is our god this is, how, this is how eternal he is. And Moses is trying to help us and say, look, if you want to have a, a, a heart of wisdom and, and know how to number your days, you have to have the right perspective of who God is. Who is he? He inhabits eternity. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So God is infinite. Now let's put man into perspective. Man is great. Man is wonderful. Man is awesome. Man is amazing. Man is full of himself. Let's see how Moses, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks about who man is and what man is. Remember, Moses is surrounded by death every 17 minutes for the past 40 years. Look at verses 3 and 5. Moses gives us four word pictures that describe what really man is. Look at this first word picture, dust. I hate to break it to you, but we are dust. We are dust. Moses says here, right here, he says, You return man to dust. And say, Return, O children. Of man, Do you see how Moses is bringing this contrast to us to help us be the, the eternality of God? And here we are, dust. That's it. You can't make much out of dust unless you are God. And that is what we are made of. And our bodies will return back into that very substance. In reality... Our lives are nothing more than a great dust cycle. If you think about it, Genesis two seven pictures that tells us that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We are made from dust. Then he tells us in Genesis three seventeen, cursed is the ground because of you, through though. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And because of Adam's sin, we now have a constant reminder now from the dust of the ground that is cursed, that through painful toil, we are now going to eat food from it all the days of our lives. And then Psalm 103, 14 tells us that the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are... Dust. Our lives continue as dust. In Psalm 93 here, finally, the dust now comes full cycle and returns back to dust. We're dust. That's it. God is amazing. God is eternal. Man is dust. Second word picture here, look what he says here. A thousand years. He says, for a thousand years in your sight or but is yesterday when it's past, or is a watch in the night? Notice how Moses is making the comparison here about the brevity of man's life, right? He says what? He says, how long is a thousand years to God? It's like yesterday. It's not very long. He says it's like a memory in the past or like a graveyard shift, a watch in the night. There's not really much to it. It was there, but now it's gone. It is no real substance. Look at the third word picture here. He says, a flood and a dream. Verse 5, in New Mexico, where I lived during uh, there in Albuquerque, during the monsoon season, it would pour down rain, I mean, hard. I mean, it would rain hard for maybe like five minutes, and then it was over. That was it. Uh, but where we live there in Albuquerque, we live kind of at the, at the foothills of the mountains. And when it would start to rain, all that water would come down from the mountains and it, we would have flash floods. I mean, it was, it was pretty common. I mean, it was so cool. We'd be outside and we're like, look at the water. It's coming up to the garage. Right. I mean, it was like so, so cool to see that. Well, we also lived by a ditch or an arroyo, right? And all that water would go down into that ditch and it would be dispersed through the uh, through the aquifers and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was very dangerous to be playing in ditches, especially during monsoon season. Why? Because those flash floods come so quickly. And I remember several times there were kids that would have to get rescued. You would see it on TV. Kids in the ditch. Uh-oh, here comes the fire department. they got to get them out of there because... They have to get rescued. They're going to get swept away by that flood, by those floodwaters. And God tells us here, Moses tells us here that what? Our lives, man's life is like a flood and a dream. He says our lives are that short. They are swept away like a flood. He says they are like a dream that doesn't last. It's gone. Fourth word picture here, grass. Look at verse number five. He talks about this night moisture, and he makes it flourish. But the sun gradually dries it up all day long. And by night, it fades and withers away. And so this is our life compared to God. God is eternal. Man is just dust. And it doesn't very last very long. And so do you want to know how to number your days? Get a good picture of the brevity of your life before God. It's small. There's not much to it. God is eternal. Here's the second thing. God takes sin seriously. And so if we want to learn how to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom, then we have to get it through our heads that God takes sin seriously. The same God who is everlasting to everlasting and who created man out of dust and returns him to dust... Is the same God who is righteous and he cannot allow sin to go unjudged or unpunished. Remember, here is Moses in the wilderness, and every 17 minutes there is the reality and the reminder you have failed to trust me, you have failed to believe me, and so therefore you're gonna die. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. Seven, 17 minutes, death. Death, death, death. And so Moses here makes this statement pretty clear in verse number 7. He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. And notice what Moses says here in verse 8. I want you to feel the heaviness of these words. Look at this. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You know what iniquity is? Iniquity is preconceived sin. Sometimes there's transgressions where we transgress the law, okay? And we, we we step over the boundary that God has set. Then there are things that we just do. We miss the mark. That's just sin. But then there is iniquity. That is preconceived Sin. That is saying, I know what God's word says, and I am going to do the contrary because I want to. And Moses says that here in verse number eight, he says, You have set our iniquities before you. And he says, Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our sins are an open book to God, though we make, may think they are secret. He is aware of all of them. He knows all of them. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God whatsoever. God can see right through our veneer of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. He sees right into the darkest parts of our lives. Now, notice how Moses describes their life ending. Look at verse number nine. He says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a, what? A sigh, like a... Oh, a moan. That's, that's our life. He says our life is passing away. Just like how we breathe in and breathe out. It's just, oh, that's it. There's no high points. Moses here is expressing the wastefulness of 40 years in the wilderness. While they were traveling in the wilderness, they didn't build any cities There was no great accomplishments, only despair in the end, and life ends with this sigh, a moan, a moan for the people. This is God's judgment on sin. Look at verse number 10 here. Moses comments on the length of life. Look what he says. He says, the years of our life are, what, 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Now, he's not promising that your life is going to be 70 or 80 years long. He's just commenting. He's just saying, look... It could be 70, it could be 80 by strength. We're not really sure. And he's comparing probably the, the, the shortness of life with the rest of the patriarchs. Did you know that when God created mankind to live, uh, he created him to live forever? But what happened? Adam sinned. And when he sinned, God says, the day that you eat from that tree, he says, you will die. Now, did Adam, like when he took that bite, you know, that fruit... Did he just go? No. He lived a day, then he lived another day, and another day, and another day, and another day. In fact, Adam didn't die until he was 931 years old, but he died eventually. Moses lived to be 120, Aaron lived to be 123, and Joshua lived to be 110. But they did die. And as time passed and sin continued, our lifetimes have been shortened. And so 70 to 80 years old is about right. Now notice your life, how it's summed up. Look what he says about our life. How is our life summed up? Look what he says here in verse 10. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. It's soon gone, it flies away. You've heard the expression, time flies. Well, guess what? So does your life. It's gone so quickly. And he says, this is the brevity of our life. We need to understand that God takes sin seriously. And death is a constant reminder of God's judgment on sin. And so what are we spending our days on? Sin, pleasure, worry, unforgiveness, bitterness, faithlessness, prayerlessness, the love of the world, apathy. Idol worship, materialism, jealousy, envy. We can really go on and on and on and on. But the point is, don't waste your days on things like that. Truly, the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, notice this question in verse number 11. This is actually a rhetorical question that he asks. Look what he says in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, it's asked to place an emphasis on the seriousness of God's attitude towards sin. It's intended to show that nobody really has uh, uh, enough respect for the anger of God. Do you see how openly God is mocked in our world today? Do you see how openly celebrated sin is today? They have no fear of God. And Moses is asking this question, he's saying, you continue in sin, you continue to live your life this way, don't you know that your life is going to be cut short? Don't you know that you're going to die? He says, why would you live your life like this? He says, you have no fear of God because you continue to live in that type of life of sin and rebellion against God. In spite of all the warnings about sin and God's word and his disapproval of it, for some reason we think that the Old Testament God is not the same as the New Testament God. Kind of like in the New Testament, God God's just kind of like, well, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and let that one slide. That one's, that one's going to be okay because I'm, I'm different now. You know, back in the, you know, I was kind of just... I was a little crazy back then. I mean, I really let myself get carried away sometimes. I mean, come on. Striking people with a plague? What was I thinking? Oh, man. No. Same God that's of the God of the Old Testament, same God of the New Testament. We need to remember that. In 1 Corinthians 10, we have some interesting verses here that kind of, I believe, correlate here with those wilderness wanderings. In 1 Corinthians 10, Uh, Paul writes here, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the Red Sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it were written, the people sat down, eat, drink, and play, rose up and play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And then Paul goes later on to start talking about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. And he tells us that when we come together, together, together for the Lord's Supper, that we need to be judging ourselves, self-examination. Why? Because he tells us here, he says that if we don't do that, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And he says, but if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so God takes sin very seriously. He still takes sin very seriously. Uh, And if we are going to apply our hearts to wisdom and number our days, we are going to have to know that God (laughs) takes sin seriously. Look at verse number 12. This really is the key to this passage. What does it mean to number our days in light of this psalm? Look what he says. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is kind of like the hinge of this this entire passage, okay? Um, He's not talking about how many days you have been alive. Currently, I have been alive 14,867 days today. Uh, Megan, you've been alive 4,846 days today. Um, Let's see. Sally, she's not here this morning, but she just turned 95 a little over a week ago. Guess how many days she's been alive? 34,707 days. Now, when you put it in seem like that, it seems kind of short, doesn't it? I mean, days? This is how many days I've been alive? This many days? The psalmist here is not talking about count how many days you have been alive. What he means is consider your life how you live it. What you're doing with your life, your manner of your life, how you are living your life. Why? Because remember, you are dust. God is from everlasting to everlasting, and God takes sin seriously. Make the connection. Moses is seeing people drop dead every 17 minutes. Why? Because of their sin, because of their disbelief. And he's saying, you need to number your days. You need to consider how you live your life. And it means that you need to make the most of every day with respect to love and obedience to God. 1 John 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Here's the last thing. If we are going to have hearts of wisdom and learn how to number our days, then you need to pray for the right things in life. Now, in light of God's judgment on sin, these next set of verses really help us apply hearts of wisdom here. We need to pray for the right things in life. What do you pray for? What is the substance of our prayers? What do our prayers consist of? I want you to notice a man who is surrounded by death every 17 minutes and listen to how this man prays. Listen to what is important to him. Okay? Notice what he prays for. Number one, he prays for God's mercy. Verse 13, look at this. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Does that sound familiar? Remember verse number three? What did he say? You, God says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Now Moses is saying this. What is he saying? He's saying, return, O Lord, how long? Have mercy on your servants. Servants, And so here Moses speaks to God and says, return to us. You who have turned your back on us in judgment, turn again to us in mercy. Can we not see the gospel in this? Do you see the hints of the gospel in this? Here is is man that has sinned against God. We have turned our face from God. We have decided to go our own way. And what has God done? He sent Jesus, his son, for us. Jesus became sin for us. And while Jesus was on the cross, God turned his face away from the sun so that away we might receive mercy. And so if we're going to pray, we need to pray. We need, if we're going to learn how to number our days, Lord, I want to know how to, how to live my life for you. We need to be praying for mercy And so the Father sends Jesus for us. He is our mercy. We need the mercy of God every day. I identify with the sinner in the temple who beat his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need God's mercy every day. He says to God, have pity on your servants. No longer treat as we deserve, but instead have mercy on us. Notice how he addresses God here. Lord, there's a relationship, right? There's an established relationship here uh, between them. And he says, Lord, have mercy on us. And I believe this really goes back to verse number one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Where do we find mercy? We find mercy in the Lord who is our dwelling place. And we need to remember that, having mercy. Secondly, he prays for joyous satisfaction in God alone. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says this, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for many years as we have seen seen evil. Now, this is actually a very important phrase here. Notice this, steadfast love. That is a powerful phrase that is found throughout all of Scripture. And it it is so important and it has so much meaning to us that know Christ because of of our relationship with God. And this phrase is is very, very important. This phrase should make us really sing, jump for joy when we read it because of of the relationship that we have with the Lord. This phrase is is really um, translated here as we see as, as steadfast love. But it's also translated in other places of Scripture as loving kindness, love and faithfulness, unfailing love, faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love, and covenant love. What is this steadfast love that Moses desires to be so satisfied with? Okay. As one writer put it, It's God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. This is the covenant that he has with us. And Moses is praying. He's saying, God, I want to be satisfied with your covenant, steadfast love. Now, when the covenant is established, it's established between two people. One side is going to keep their bargain. The other side is going to keep their bargain. One side doesn't keep their bargain. The other side, okay, the deal's off, deal's off, deal's off. What is so awesome about the covenant love that we have with God is that covenant is not made between us and God. That covenant is made between God and Jesus Christ. And so this is what's so awesome about this covenant love that he has for us is the covenant love, the relationship that we have with God through Jesus is not based upon our performance. It's not based upon what we do, what we don't do, how good we are, how bad we are. If we sin, if we don't sin, it's not based upon any of that. It's based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so Moses is praying and he's saying, God, I want to be satisfied with your covenant keeping love. Are we satisfied with God? Are we satisfied with his love? I believe that if we are going to learn how to number our days, we need to be satisfied and be praying for satisfaction in God's covenant love. And this is so important that you understand this covenant love Because this covenant of grace is that grace that God lavishly pours upon us. This covenant love, this covenant of grace that God displays to us is is not based upon what we do or do not do. It is based upon our mediator, Jesus Christ, the faithful, the one who satisfied God's wrath. The one who always pleased the Father. And this is our relationship that we have, and Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He's eternal, and he never dies, and is always faithful and righteous. So Moses is appealing to God in prayer and saying, satisfy us. We want to be satisfied with your steadfast love. Do we pray that? I believe this gets so much richer, because look what he says here. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Remember verses 5 and 6? Take a look at them in your Bibles. Look what he says here. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. But he says, the covenant love that I have with you, it doesn't fade away. Oh, your life fades away. But the covenant love that I have with you, it never fades away. It's established always. And so it's so important that we remember that. Notice the last thing that Moses prays for in verses 16 and 17. He prays that our lives will be used for his purposes. And not wasted. Now remember what Moses had seen. Miracles in Egypt. Right? I mean he saw the plagues. He saw that mighty exodus. The people come out. The Red Sea parting. He's seen God judge his people. Because of their sin. He he saw uh, manna from heaven. Water out of a rock. And now all that generation is dying. Or already has died. And Moses says something here that is so important. I don't want you to miss this. Look what he says here. He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to who? To their children. We have a whole generation that is growing up in the wilderness wanderings that did not see the the Red Sea crossings. They didn't see the powerful works in Egypt. They didn't see how God destroyed the Egyptian army. They didn't see any of that. They didn't see the, the giant uh, uh, pillar of cloud. and all. They're not part of this. They didn't see it. And Moses is praying and he's saying, God, I want your works to be shown to the children, this future generation. For us in here that have children, fathers, we have children. What are we doing? How are we numbering our days in order to live in such a way that our children will see the mighty works of God. How are we living our lives in that way? Are we wasting our lives? It's so important that we live our way, our life in such a way that our children see God's faithfulness in our lives. How are we living that way? We're grateful for all the children that are part of this fellowship of believers here. How are we putting on display God's powerful workings for them? How are we showing them God's glorious work? Here's Moses at the end of his life, and he wants his life to have meaning and value. Moses has been at it for 40 years in the wilderness. He wants to make sure that his life meant something, that there's substance to it. He doesn't just want it to end and, oh, death, 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 death death. He wants it to continue. He wants God's glorious works to be shown for future generations. Moses didn't want his life to have been wasted, and really it wasn't. What is it that God has given you to do in your life, your family, your community? What is God given for you to do in this local body of believers? God wants to use all of us for his glory, for his purposes, so that our life is not going to be wasted. Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us to apply a heart of wisdom. And I believe that if we pray this way, if we pray for God's work and his, his, uh, his glory to be shown through how we live our lives and how we, how we use our hands and how we use our gifts, how we use all this stuff, God's work will be shown. But I believe that we need to be, be praying that way. And so I hope that it's your prayer uh, too that you will live in such a way today. And if the Lord grants you another day and another to number your days, live them with purpose to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10 31 says what? Whether therefore we are eating or drinking or whatever we are doing, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray together.